And welcome to Librarians Allowed, an independent podcast presented by the Academic and Special Libraries section of the Library Association of Ireland. I'm your host, Laura Rooney Ferris. Well, did you miss us? Um, we've been on a bit of a break since ASL 2016. We've been recovering from our post-conference exhaustion. Very big thanks to everyone who made it such a fantastic couple of days, particularly all of our, our speakers and plans are already afoot for ASL 2017, so uh, watch this space. We're back with a bang with this episode with the one woman wonder that is Marie O'Neill, head of uh, Dublin Business School's Library Services. I spoke to Marie about her career path, about the future of libraries and about her special brand of library leadership. Enjoy. Gosh, thank you, Laura. It's a fantastic um, introduction. I hope I live up to it. Of course, you do. You never disappoint, Marie. Oh, thank Um, you, thank you, Laura. So, to get started, do you want to tell me about how you got into librarianship? Um, Well, actually, originally, um, like other people that you you've interviewed for the series, I, I didn't actually set out to become a librarian. Um, one thing I did know was that I was always really interested in education and I think that came from my parents. My father left school when he was about 16 and my mother left Mm -hmm. school when she was 15 and in those days you know people had to leave school, help out their families. There there weren't the opportunities that we we take for granted today. So when we were growing up my, my mother would constantly remind me of you know how lucky we were at the educational opportunities that we had and my father was the same as well. He was always sort of lamenting that his uh, formal education was sh- cut short. So I think from a very young age, I had a sense that, you know, education was something very powerful, very transformative, mm-hmm. and that it kind of opened doors for people from all walks of life. So I definitely knew that I wanted to do something in education. And I remember as a young child, I used to kind of line up all my dolls on my bed, <laughs> and my parents bought me this little... Um, blackboard and chalk and I used to do little lesson plans so not only did I know that I wanted to do something in education but I knew from a young age I wanted to be a teacher so whenever anybody asked me what would you like to do I'd always say I would like to be a teacher when I grow up and I kind of continued in that vein I went to university in Cork University College Cork really beautiful beautiful university beautiful campus and to do an arts degree with a view to going into the teaching profession And I actually was always the girl at school that people came to for help with assignments or if they were having difficulties. It's always been that way. It's always always been that way. And then before I knew it, I was actually doing um, grinds. Uh, So I actually used to do grinds with school leavers and internet, uh, intercert, sorry, intercert students as well that were still at school and that's how I kind of paid my way through college and also with the help of of my parents but um and so I was doing a lot of grinds so so that was quite a challenge sort of keeping up with my studies at college and also keeping up with the leaving cert (laughs) syllabus in English Uh, I used to do grinds uh, in English and um and also keeping up with the intermediate certificate 
syllabus as well. So, but I did manage to kind of keep all, all those sort of balls in the air, if you like. And uh, so then I was going to do the HDIP in education. And around that time, uh, we were in the throes of kind of a deep recession. It was the late 80s, early 90s. And I knew a lot of people that had wanted to become teachers that had done the HDIP and they were all unemployed. So um, I knew that I needed to get working sort of quickly and uh, I thought maybe I shouldn't go into teaching immediately, maybe I should try something else. And so I applied to the Michael Smurfett School of Business mm. and I did a graduate diploma in business studies and probably there's not a lot of people out there would realise that I was actually a business student at one point uh, in another life in um, the Michael Smurfett School of Business. And um, the idea of the programme was is that uh, arts graduates could go in who didn't have a business background, do this graduate diploma and then go on to the MBA. And so I did that course and I, I completed it successfully and but I decided not to go ahead and do the MBA. Um, I just I just found it very um, sort of very kind of dry subject matter, very kind of black and white. And having been an art student and having studied English and geography and philosophy and French, um, it was just such a sea change. And suddenly, I was I was studying operations management and business administration, and and I just it just didn't kind of uh, light me up in the way I think that you know studying art subjects did. I mean, I remember when I was at university, we had an option where you could take Old English, and you could actually learn the language that. Beowulf was narrated in and there was only about 15 of us took this class this module if you like and we used to go off to a language lab and, and learn old English I, I can still say a little bit of old English actually it's a cunning fur to Reddingham that means I know and that means the king goes to Reading and and um and you were studying Shakespeare and there were feminist interpretations of, you know, the books of, you know, Emily Bronte and all kinds of things. It was just so rich. And um, so... And the business world just didn't quite light your fire that way? No, de definitely not. No, definitely not. No. The business world got radical and funky, obviously. Exactly. It was before the business world got radical and, and funky. And... Um, while I was on UCD, I went into the careers office and I saw this job advertised for a library intern in King's Inns. And mm. um, the idea of the position was that you, you did this position for a year and then you applied to do a postgraduate diploma in library studies, mm. uh, which was ESF funded at the time. So the European Social Fund had decided to you know fund this course in Ireland. And I thought that was kind of a very powerful statement that here we were in the middle of a recession. Um, and 20% of the Irish population was unemployed and people were emigrating. And the European Union had identified librarianship as an area yeah. that they wanted to invest in, in terms of helping us to rebuild our economy. And, and I kind of got the feeling that perhaps this was going to be a growth area and I would actually get work in this area. And also it would keep me close to education and, and working in the educational environment. Um, and that it wasn't too far removed from being a teacher. And, and as, as you know, we now have teaching librarians and, and being a librarian. Yeah, it's so much about teaching now. It's so much about teaching. And, uh, Half of the library population of Dublin is currently at, at Lilac, which is all about the teaching. Absolutely, absolutely. And so I, I went to King's Inns, I applied for the job, and actually I kind of leveraged the knowledge that I had gained on the business studies programme to help me get that job. I, I kind of played up the sort of IT aspects of it and the organisational aspects of it. 
and I guess if there's one thing I, I, I try to get through to a lot of young people coming into the library profession is don't overly worry if you haven't had the most direct route into the profession because you know all experience all education is valuable and it can be leveraged within the library profession and, and sometimes it can actually add to what you do I mean to this day I actually feel that my graduate diploma in business studies has stood me in good stead because there was financial management there was marketing there was business administration um, and also, I've worked in a number of libraries where we had business faculty, business subjects, and I'm here at Dublin Business School, where obviously we have a lot of business subjects. So, so understanding the lingo of business, it, it stood me in, in good, good stead. And, and it was quite a swanky year to be in the Michael Smurfett School of Business. Yeah, what was the Smurfett School of Business like it, 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 it was, we were actually based in Belfield at the time. I mean, mm. they've since moved out to, to Black Rock and... Uh, but it was it was very very glamorous. It was quite different to the arts program, yeah. arts course in in um, UCC. People were quite dressed up and very swanky looking coming to do their <laughs> studies. College in pinstripe suits. Uh, not quite, but not too far off it. I mean, you got you got a sense of kind of uh, you know the emerging young business professionals. So it was quite different, and and I'm kind of glad that I did get exposure to that as well. You know, so it was all good good experience and. Um, and that basically then led me to my first library job, which was in King's Inns, yeah. And I started working in King's Inns, and, and interestingly enough, um, even though I had kind of tried to emphasise them about computer skills, you know, on, on the business course, um, they didn't have anything computerised whatsoever <laughs> at the time in King's Inns. They were still using a card catalogue. Um, and also um, they didn't sort of have a library management system but having said that um, it was an incredible collection Jonathan and Trace were working there at the time they built up this incredible legal collection uh, we were supporting students law graduates who wanted to become barristers but also they had a program a conversion program for people who hadn't uh, maybe done law as their primary degree so you had guards and you had nurses and teachers who were also studying to become barristers and the wonderful thing I think about librarianship is is, is sort of the human stories um, behind being a librarian and, and the people that you meet and, and I remember when I was in King's Inns there was a man called Donald there and he was about 86 years old and he was studying to become a barrister and he had been a teacher and he had lost his wife and he had always had this dream of being um, a barrister and um, and he would come into the library every day and he would kind of lose and find us all with his energy and drive and and we also had a lot of international students as well in King's Inns and uh, back then in those days it was a requirement to have Irish so you would see lots of um, African students you know studying um, Irish language books so that they would pass their test and they so probably did considerably better than <laughs> they were amazing so they, they would come in and they would speak Irish to you and, and, and it was quite something and, and also there was a lot of rituals in King's Inns you know around the legal profession you know they, they dined and they did all that kind of thing um, but it, it was fantastic introduction to the library profession because um, I'm so glad that I actually saw libraries in my eyes you know from the beginning in a way when we had card 
catalogues mm. and I've seen the evolution of libraries since then we've got you know library management systems and online catalogues and CD-ROMs and dial-up databases to web-based solutions and discovery solutions but it's great to have been a part you know and to have been exposed to that trajectory yeah. uh, to kind of I guess an information revolution in a way you could say I mean we've always had information revolution the printed book yeah. was an information revolution but I do think in the past two decades it's it's been almost exponential and it's been wonderful you know to have started in a library where they had a card catalogue which worked incredibly well I have to say mm -hmm. to, to, to see the modern library today but my my most powerful memory I think of being in King's Inns is, is we had I remember there was a barrister going into court in the four courts and we had a, a case in one of the volumes in King's Inns that he required to help win his case. And I remember them asking me to go down to the forecourts with this volume. So I, I went clutching the volume down to the forecourts. And I had never been inside the library in the forecourts. Um, and it was fascinating. I remember walking in and the barristers actually practiced in the library. The desk, they had phones and they had you know all their paperwork um the library was a thriving place and for me i felt that was a really powerful image that you know here are barristers who are fighting cases you know complex cases um criminal cases divorce cases human rights cases and they're practicing out of the library because the information in that library is absolutely pivotal to their success in court and uh, so it was a really powerful introduction I feel to the library profession. It's great to see the direct connection between the job you're actually doing and the end result. Absolutely, absolutely. And so you were just there for the year, yeah? Um, I was there for the year and then I applied to the library course and I got onto the library course in UCD, the postgraduate mm -hmm. diploma in library and information studies um, and I at the same time applied for a job in the DIT mm. and I, I got a part-time job in um, Kevin Street working in the evenings and on a Saturday mm. so I was actually working um, 20 hours a week and doing um, the uh, postgrad diploma in library and information studies um, which which was challenging at times. You just like, like to keep a full plate. You know, I think I do like to keep a full plate. And I think I may have eaten a, full, a few full plates while I was doing the course. Um, I was constantly eating on the go and running from work to um, uh, Belfield. And, uh, and that was a wonderful course. Um, and one of the most powerful memories for me on that course um, was, was learning about the information society. I always remember that, that, you know, the power of information and how uh, it should be embedded in our daily lives, in our workflows, um, and how empowering information is mm. for all sectors of society. And for me, I really see that made manifest now in a negative way, in a way, with what's happening in the UK and the closure of public libraries in the UK, mm. that that to me is the antithesis of the information society. Yeah. And it highlights even more it's sort of the importance of what I learned at library school about the information society and upholding the principles of the information society. Mm. And that when you close public libraries 
um, the impact for society is quite considerable. And um, I remember seeing a tweet by David Hughes, who, who likes to tweet, as you know, and, and has wonderful tweets. And I, I saw this incredible tweet by David, um, our systems librarian here at Dublin Business School, that the closure of public libraries is almost like a form of social engineering. It is a form of social engineering because it yeah, denies absolutely. mobility. Exactly, um, exactly. It's very fundamental to librarianship to have an emphasis on equity of access. Absolutely. And denying that, that route to social mobility it does just it closes doors absolutely for already in state of impoverishment it's denying them a, a vital resources absolutely it's actually almost i feel like the denial of a basic human right and yeah. um, and and i think that if you look at people that are socially excluded chances are they are excluded from the flow of information and they may not be information literate they may not be digitally literate either and if you close their local public library, um, you're denying them the opportunity to, to gain those skills mm. and, and to transform their, their lives. So that, that was very powerful for me when I went to uh, UCD Library School. The, we focused a lot on the information society and, and uh, I really believe in the principles of, of the information society. So did you feel that that sort of connected with some of your core values, some of the values that are held dear in librarianship? Definitely, and I think that when I was in King's Inns, I, I, I saw the power of information in terms of sort of the legal world and the sort of the professional world. I feel that when I went to UCD, um, I mean, they also covered, you know, they had lots of guest talks and, you know, information, the application of information in, in lots of different environments like medical libraries, business libraries. But I, I think one of the big things that I took away was suddenly this awareness of, you know, the importance of public libraries and children's literature and the information society and what we can do with information to empower people and I think public libraries are probably the most democratic spaces on earth I mean you can go into a public library nobody asks you you know what your religion is what your income is you can access for free um, wonderful books you know the great minds of our time and 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 historical, great, you know, historical works as well, philosophical works, you know, mm. you can learn a language, you can use computers, you can, uh, it's just transformative. And I, I think they have a very important role to play in society. And, and libraries are, public libraries are the hallmark of a civilised, modern society, you know. So, and I definitely feel that I, I really strongly got that sense that was really very clearly imparted to us when we were in library school in UCD. So that, that th those were wonderful lessons to learn. Yeah. So do you think is that quite important in, in training um, librarians in library library courses to impart not just a set of kind of functional skills, but also a, a mindset and an ethos for what the profession represents? Absolutely, absolutely, and. Um, I think, you know, I mean, we're involved in library education in um, Dublin Business School, as you know, and we have a postgraduate diploma in library and information, an MSc actually in information and library management. And we have lecturers who are also practitioners and um, very passionate about the library profession. So uh, even before a textbook is opened or an ebook is consulted or a journal article is um, read, they, they will they always reinforce 
to um, students the importance of, of libraries and they're fantastic ambassadors, you know, for the library profession, yeah. you know. Most librarians are, when you talk to them, it's, it's not just a profession, it's something that's sort of core to their own personal um, value system. Absolutely. I mean, I do think there is a kind of vocational aspect mm. to it, and um, and and that's great that that you know we we do have a kind of a passion about it, and that we want to ensure that you know all people, you know everybody in society uh, can access information, and um, that you know there's an equality in that, and 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 definitely I agree with you. I think it is a vocation as well as a profession, and. Uh, and we are a very passionate bunch about it. I definitely, we, yeah, we definitely. Sometimes a little too much. <laughs> Maybe a little too much. I can be guilty of that as well. So, mm. it's no bad thing. Mm. And was that something that you had thought about before you did the course in UCD about just how much it was more than just a job? Um, definitely, because I knew that I wanted to work in education, and and I think part of the reason for that was. I, I like the kind of the helping aspect of it and I like sort of mentoring people, supporting people. I, I, I like to help people reach their full potential. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely did get a sense that when I went into the library course that this was probably, there would be an element within this. But I don't think I kind of realised the full extent on, until I did the course. You know, the opportunities and the possibilities to empower people mm-hmm. through information. And, and I, I definitely think it was... Um, reinforced considerably and expanded upon considerably in, in UCD Library School. So so I fond fond memories of my time there. So, so. UCD Library School then from there on in you were hooked, yeah. I was hooked. It, it's all their fault. <laughs> I, it's worse than crack. Exactly. <laughs> this is it. It's totally addictive. And and I was hooked. And while I was doing um the postgrad course in, in UCD, um I was also working Kevin Street and the DIT in Kevin Street and, and the Dublin Institute of Technology was really fantastic for sort of giving mm. young librarians, often many of us, our first posts were held yeah. or one of our early posts were, you know, would have been held in the DIT and um, they were very technological. I mean, suddenly, they, I mean, they had the library management system when I went in, they had CD-ROMs um, and in Kevin Street we had engineering subjects, we had dietetics, we had students that were training to be opticians. Um, wonderful people in the DIT, um, Ursula Gavin, Brendan Devlin, Anne Wrigley, um, and you really got a sense of, of the technological side of um, librarianship, and that complemented nicely as well what I was learning on the UCD programme during the daytime. It sounds like it's quite a shift from being in King's Inn in a, in a more traditional library. Exactly. And kind of embraced the exactly exactly and and so that 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 was really good as well and um i i they were very modern and very progressive and um i felt i learned a lot while i was in um dit and and some really wonderful dynamic people in in dit um and also i think i got an idea of sort of broader range of tasks that librarians could do. There was a librarian there called Mary Davis and um, she was the head librarian at Kevin Street and she used to do sort of information literacy sessions and library tours and uh, we were starting to kind of 
get more involved in sort of the teaching information literacy it didn't have the kind of professional shape that it has now yeah. and you know the pedagogical models that we follow now but um that that was really interesting experience um so dit and the library course combined was very valuable on on all levels um in, in terms of you know getting more exposure to the new developments that were happening in libraries, particularly on the technological front, on the teaching front, um, and uh, no, so though th that that year was very very helpful when when I was in UCD, very so helpful. Did you just work in DIT then for the year that you were studying? I worked there in DIT in the evenings and on a Saturday, and then when I graduated, they took me on as a as a full time library assistant. So I actually ended up working for DIT for about two and a half years, mm. and it wasn't at a professional level. And I do notice sometimes with young graduates today, when they come out, they're sort of very anxious to get that professional post from the get-go. And I do try to say to them, you know, don't put yourself under that pressure because um, all experience is valuable. You know, just try to get in somewhere and um, gradually in time an opportunity arises. Yeah. And, I, and I, I got fantastic experience um, in DIT, even at library assistant level. I think the customer facing experience is very important as well though. Absolutely, absolutely. The customer facing is 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 huge, and and in both jobs actually in Kings Inns and in DIT, I, I got a very strong sense of the customer focus of librarianship. Um, and in fact, I, I remember thinking that you know, traditionally there there's that perception of librarians of sort of maybe not liking people. Let's be real here, <laughs> very much. <laughs> and I do remember thinking, gosh, having worked in King's Inns, where you know you had students, people who were guards, people who were professional people, and they wanted information and they needed it now, barristers who needed information now, and also in DIT, lecturers, faculty, you know, um, students of engineering students, a very kind of savvy sort of customer base who, who knew what they wanted and, and needed it now. And I remember thinking, gosh, customer service skills are very very important as yeah. well and I think that's another lesson that I would have learned it's difficult to be able to design services and to shape a library if you don't have a, a close understanding of your user base and I think the only way to really get that is to have a little bit of close contact with them I totally agree I totally agree I mean I know myself personally that's an aspect of librarianship that I really enjoy is the customer focus and I think that it's hard to, I mean, we hear the words library impact all the time. And I think that unless you have a strong customer service, it's very hard, uh, ethos, it's very hard to have impact with your services. There's nothing more, I mean, you can have all the fancy workflows and fancy products in the world in a library environment. But if the first uh, experience that happens a student or a member of faculty, when they come into the library, is, is not a good one, it's a negative one. and the library uh, staff member is not interested in helping you uh, I think that can really erode the impact that your library yeah. can have so I think customer service is, is very important and um, I think we you know even today I think libraries there's still scope for us to take a leaf out of you know mm. commercial organizations and the way they focus on customers in terms of how we interact yeah. with our, our users I don't even know that we're quite there Yes. We're not. We're getting there. We're getting there. A lot of the discussion about impact and get, getting mm. 
into closer relationships, whether it's with researchers working more closely with them, working mm -hmm. in collaboration with them, mm -hmm. or if you're in smaller libraries, you know, working in an embedded capacity with with your user base. That just there's a much more of an emphasis now on decreasing the distance between absolutely us and them because there isn't a, there shouldn't be distance. We we should be working with them rather than absolutely absolutely because that, that can only service. I agree and I even like the term sort of blended librarian you know the idea of us being sort of almost part of the faculty team and that what we do is is, is, is locked down and embedded in academic programs I mean we do that here at Dublin Business School we have an information literacy module that is in the academic programs and we're trying a lot more rather than sort of always expecting the user to come to us we are now you know pop-up libraries where you know maybe faculty are having an event or um finding out what activities faculty or students are doing and kind of building our services into their workflows increasingly. Yeah. Um, so I definitely think that like my early experience in King's End and in the DIT where you know we large numbers of users coming you know into the library all the time that that did give me a sense I think a strong sense of customer service and, and of the importance of it mm. from from the get-go yeah. and and after um, working in DIT then for about two and a half years I actually got my first professional post um, in the Southeastern Health Board um, they had um, built a medical library in um, a purpose-built education centre in Waterford Regional Hospital and they were looking for an assistant librarian to manage that library day to day uh, with a library assistant and you would report into a librarian who was based in um, head office um, and so then I, I moved to Waterford to take up my first professional post. So that was really that was exciting. Change going into a completely different area of librarianship. That was wonderful. I mean, uh, if I wasn't head of library services at Dublin Business School, I would be a health librarian. I think I'm a frustrated health <laughs> librarian. All health librarians are frustrated. <laughs> it could be quite a frustrating job at times. It it was just mind blowing. I mean, mm. it, I I just. Uh, there, were, there were really exciting things happening in Waterford Region, well across the health profession at the time. The whole, um, a lot of nurses were going back and doing degrees and masters. Um, WIT were now offering those kind of programs for nurses and, and also RCSI as you know offers a lot of programs for nurses as well. Um, Doctors are always students, you know, they were specialising in obs and gynae, neonatology, whatever the, the subject area, so they were always students. Um, consultants um, are always keeping up with the latest literature, they're presenting at conferences, so it was just uh, an absolute hive of activity and um, the products that they had, Medline, you know, Sinal, mm. um, the whole evidence-based practice was coming in. Mm. Um, we had the Cochrane database. So I really started to get an idea of sort of the quality of information, that not all information is equal, actually, and yeah. that, you know, you could have sort of, you know, your peer-reviewed studies and, and, you know, there were randomized controlled trials and you, you would give certain type of papers to, you know, to certain type of, match certain type of papers to certain types of queries and the Cochrane database was all evidence-based and and um, so that was really interesting and at the time um, the government actually sponsored uh, the introduction of the CINAHL database mm. into all of the hospitals to help nurses who were going back and doing degrees and doing master's programs and um, I remember Breed McGrath, the consultant, um, who I know today, and she may not realise that she yeah. met me many years before when I was a young assistant librarian. Um, she was actually 
um, also employed to um, do some training as a consultant on this CINAHL database. Mm -hmm. And that, that was really powerful for me because she was the first librarian that I met who was an information consultant. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, wow, you can actually become a kind of consultant in this field. That's incredible. Um, so that was really interesting. And uh, it was very, very busy. Uh, time management, very important. Um, doctors also needed things to very tight deadlines surgeons needed things to very tight deadlines again I just I couldn't believe how much a librarian could contribute to that environment I, I remember doing a search for a surgeon who told me he had a pregnant lady who was in the third trimester of her pregnancy and she had gallstones and she was in a lot of discomfort and he needed me to search Medline to find the papers to see was it safe to remove these gallstones in the third trimester without harming the baby without so obviously I wouldn't make that decision I would do the search on Medline get all the literature together and, and then he would make an informed decision but I, I, I just found it amazing you know that the searches you were doing were, were actually being used out there on the ward I, I remember they were drawing up you know, policies on infection control, how to manage MRSA, and the infection control sister and consultant would be looking for papers on MRSA. And it, it's, it, it's quite incredible, you know, uh, how medical librarians and health librarians actually contribute to what is happening out there on the wards. And, uh, and you build up quite a lot of subject knowledge. Yeah. And, uh, you know, after four years, it was like, I felt like I had done a nursing or a medical degree. And, and they, they actually used to come in and joke and ask me when was I doing my surgical exams and things like that, because every day you were looking at the literature, you were immersed in it. And, uh, but lots of kind of funny stories as well around that job. Again, the human side of librarianship. I remember there was um, a man that used to come to the library studying every day and he was really well attired and he looked like a consultant. And I remember then the consultant psychiatrist coming up to me one day saying, you see that guy over there? He, it turns out he was actually a psychiatric patient who had um, hypochondria. And I thought he was a very studious um, uh, medical professional. Uh, but in actual fact, he was a hypochondriac that was reading volumes and volumes of books in, in the library. And, uh, and I also remember the librarian uh, that I reported into, Anne Tierney, wonderful librarian. Um, she, she used to tell me that there was a medical librarian in Dublin. I can't remember which hospital, but she used to wear a white coat in the way that a doctor would because she yeah. believed it was the only way that she could get sort of respect um, from from the doctors and nurses, but but in my experience, I found the library hugely respected, and and you were really really part of the team, and um, the library was very heavily used. It was open twenty four hours a day, so that too was a powerful message to me. Wow, libraries are open twenty four hours a day. Um, that was incredible, and uh, so it was a fantastic experience, and I I really really enjoyed um, that post and. Uh, it, it's a wonderful resource that the, the library down at Waterford Regional Hospital is fantastic. Mm. Mm. So where did you go from there and what brought you from, from Waterford? I then met my husband <laughs> in Waterford, <laughs> in, Waterford <laughs> in a library. <laughs> and um, that would be a lesson to all the young librarians out there. Yes, exactly. You a exactly. You, you never. You may find a husband exactly if you're looking for one. <laughs> if you're looking for one. And. Um, he had a job actually in Wales mm. and we had to move to Wales and it was a little shocking to my mother because I had a permanent pensionable job in Woodford Regional Hospital and off I went, I, I left my job and 
went over to Wales with my husband and we were living in a place called Pontypreeth mm. and uh, it's the hometown of Tom Jones that's it. <laughs> and we were kind of halfway I'm probably very proud of it too. and very proud of it and um we were sort of living halfway up a mountain. It was very, very remote. And I kind of thought, gosh, I'd been in libraries for maybe seven, eight years. I was thinking, gosh, this is my library career is, is over. And I remember in the UK at the time, and there's still existence today, there were a couple of recruitment agencies for librarians, which was a fascinating concept to me. I kind of thought, wow, you know, we've library consultants and there's actually dedicated recruitment agencies for librarians. This is fantastic. And I went to London and I was interviewed by TFPL. And I just said to them, basically, I was looking for a library job in quite a remote part of Wales. <laughs> and um, I got back to Wales and about a week later, I got a call and they asked me, would I go into Cardiff, which was only about a 25 minute commute on the train. Mm to be interviewed in the Welsh office. They needed a health librarian and an assistant librarian for health mm. in the Welsh office. So I went and I did the interview and I, I got the position and uh, it was a maternity leave for one year. Mm. So I was working in the Welsh office. I was the only Irish person in the Welsh office. Um, people they were- they didn't insist that you learn to speak Welsh? No, I was, I was really- they're, they're very patriotic about their yeah. language and, and I was very, very lucky in that they didn't insist um, because I think it was a temporary contract and it was a maternity cover. Um, they didn't insist and basically I provided support to civil servants that were looking for information on health, that were writing policies um, and at the time in Wales they were also setting up the Welsh Assembly so I also was involved in you know, um, ordering materials for the health section of that library. Um, and the setup that they had in the Welsh office at the time is that you would um, acquire the health publications and you would keep on top of government mm. publications for health. You would catalogue them. Uh, you did everything literally to do with health. And then you also did time on the inquiry desk and you then you also managed all the health careers. So you were immersed in that um, subject area. And um, so... That, that was a wonderful experience and very varied, quite complex inquiries sometimes because they were drawing up policies on, on all types of um, areas pertaining to health. Um, and uh, But it was great experience and, and I worked with fantastic people there like David Allen, uh, Stephanie Wilson, who I'm still friendly with to this day. She is now um, the head of the Welsh Assembly Library. Okay. Really impressive librarian. And, um, and it was very exciting to see uh, uh, first hand this Welsh assembly being built for the Welsh people and something that they were so proud mm. and so happy about and again I think that's the wonderful thing about librarianship is you know the situations and the stories and the people that you're exposed to I, I think there's something quite unique about librarianship in in that sense especially if you change job you're just exposed to so many different types of environments and there's wonderful travel opportunities um, if anybody is going to the UK, TFPL and Sue Hill Recruitment, mm. fantastic. And if you're going to Australia or New Zealand, there's Zenith Recruitment Agency. Um, there's just so many possibilities out there. Um, and so then we were coming back from Wales uh, to Dublin and I got some part-time work as a library assistant in DIT when I came back in Rathmines, DIT Rathmines, okay. just to kind of give me a bit of a base while I looked for my next professional post. And then I got... A professional post which was half-time assistant librarian for health in Earthsford Terrace and half-time assistant librarian for the library course in UCD. Okay. So it was great to kind of keep up 
the health end of things. I was in Earth for Terrorists. There's a very dynamic librarian there, Paul Murphy, who's now in RCSI. And he was very, very technological. Um, and uh, that was great experience. I, I worked with um, Margaret Kelly, now Margaret okay, Irons, yeah. in Earth for yeah. Terrorists. The two of us used to work side that by side. It was quite a dangerous It was quite a dangerous combination. And um, so that was wonderful working with her. And then when I was out in Belfield, I was um, the library liaison for the library course. So if faculty needed books, journal articles, or I also made them aware of new publications. I did training on LisaNet with library students. Um, so again, really starting to kind of get exposure to the sort of information literacy side of yeah. things. And so how was that being back in, in UCD with working with library students? It was great, actually. As a, as a librarian rather than? It was fantastic because it was almost sort of like going into the back end of a system, if you like, and that yeah. I saw the program from the other side, you know, dealing with faculty and uh, dealing with students. And um, it was really, really interesting. And I think actually it probably led me to, to another path down the line of, of being, uh, you know, involved in the MSc in Information and Library Management yeah. here at Dublin Business School. It was very valuable in terms of having an understanding of, you know, the requirements of students in this discipline um, and, you know, the type of faculty that you need to work on a programme like that. Um, so it was great experience. I have to say, I think in every role, I've I found I've I've learned something new, and I've been able to sort of leverage that experience throughout my career. Every role I still draw upon in some way today. Um, sometimes it could be a contact for placement for a student on the MSc in Information Library Management, or it's somebody that I know has an interest in a particular area that perhaps I'm interested in pursuing here at Dublin Business School. So it's it's all been great experience, but it's also been very valuable in terms of building up professional networks. I I do have quite a large sort of uh, yeah. network of library professionals with whom I'm, I'm still in touch, which is lovely. And um, then uh, at the time, a senior library assistant position came up in DIT and I had done quite a lot of contract work. Mm -hmm. And this was permanent and pensionable and my husband and I were settling down in, in Dublin. So I, I thought that I should take that uh, because I had three jobs effectively on the go, DIT and Ars for Terrace and, and Belfield. Yeah, and it's really um, hard to keep your head in, in one place at a time. Absolutely. And I, I did that for about a year and then I took the senior library assistant position and I was reporting into Anne Wrigley and then eventually Brendan Devlin, um, two wonderful librarians. And, and I worked with wonderful people there like Sharon Hofick and uh, Ursula Galvin, uh, really, really very technological and yeah. developmental and... Uh, so I eventually took that post and I stayed there for about two years, which might seem strange to people because I had been working as a professional librarian for uh, quite a number of years. But it's, it's hard to kind of envisage the economic climate, you know, mm. that existed in Ireland back then. And that to kind of have a secure job for a little period of time was, was kind of, you know, it was nice to have. And, and I just kept my eye out for professional roles. But then I went in a completely, completely different direction entirely. <laughs> And what direction was that? <laughs> we, had, we had to move to um, Nina with my husband's job, Nina and County Tipperary. And uh, I left my job again. I had spent two years in the DIT and we moved to Nina. And unfortunately, I couldn't get a library job. 
And so I decided to set up my own business and um, selling fashion accessories. I think anybody that knows me knows I, I like my bling. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I did that for two years and um, that was a very, very successful business. Um, I was actually able to employ uh, one and a half people alongside myself in, in a small, in a business in a small town. But it, it had a great reputation. We used to import jewelry from all around the world and yeah. it had a reputation for sort of having unusual pieces and people would come to have a reputation for people coming in just to have a chat with you it did have that <laughs> reputation as well <laughs> it, <laughs> it did it did and it, it was thriving mm. and then my husband completed his contract after two years and we were moving back to Dublin and I always knew that I wanted to go back into the library profession so I saw a post advertising the Oireachtas um, for a cataloguer and obviously I had done a lot of cataloguing in the Welsh Office of Government Publications and so I thought, you know, perhaps I could have a chance at this. One slight fly in the ointment is that I had been selling fashion accessories for the past two years and I thought perhaps the break in my library career, I, didn't, I wasn't quite sure that I'd be able to make my way back from it. So I remember coming up to the interview, I got shortlisted for an interview and they were interviewing for two days and um, I thought, oh gosh, that this is going to be a tough one and I remember going into the interview board and there was a librarian from the National Library of Ireland and somebody from the Oireachtas obviously a librarian from the Oireachtas and the HR manager from the Oireachtas and it was it was it was you know a tough interview mm. and I, I was originally born in England and I lived there till I was 15 and then we moved back to Ireland and uh, they were saying things to me like you, you don't have Irish so how are you going to manage the cataloguing of kind of official publications and I was like well yeah. I didn't have Welsh and I catalogued mm. the government publications in Welsh because obviously they're bilingual if you mm. turn them over you know one side yeah, is English you so you have both and so um, I, it, I never encountered any problems cataloguing materials that were in a dual language because of of that so they were kind of you know um laughing at that answer and they were kind of saying okay well we get that and then they were incredibly interested in my business venture for two years and how I set it up and how I promoted it and how I marketed it and you know how I grew the business and what skills did I use doing this business and I I was really kind of quite taken aback by how much interest they had in it and it was a sign of things to come in a way wasn't it when you think about the the level of interest librarians now have in things like marketing and in Absolutely. Business skills. Absolutely. Things like budget management and all the stuff that we, we say we weren't taught in library school and it's difficult to learn. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And uh, I, I feel like the experience actually, you know, was very, very valuable, even for me here at Dublin Business School, managing a budget, a large team, trying to promote resources. And, and again, I, I do say to young librarians starting out that if you do veer off in another direction, it, it's really how you leverage and market that experience yeah, that it's matters all experience. it's all experience and um so yeah i was very lucky they were very interested in it and uh, i i also you don't forget your library skills i mean all of the questions that they asked me i mean i i knew my mark cataloging i knew you know the, the challenges of, of cataloging government publications and mm. and and you, you can still draw on that it doesn't go away and and so I ended up getting that position in the Oireachtas so they, they took on about three or four people and I was one of the people that they took on and it was a very sort of dynamic time in terms of library development in the Oireachtas really kind of dynamic librarians in there mm. Madeline Dennison, Maria Fitzsimon, Anne O'Sullivan mm. And they a lot of change, a lot of change, and they were building this kind of um, reconfiguring, I guess, mm. 
the library service and it had researchers and librarians working alongside each other um, and um, very modern we got lots of training um, I think that's where I really started to get a, a sense of the importance of CPD was in the Oireachtas yeah. uh, Madeline and Maria were very very committed to CPD not necessarily just in relation to library subjects mm-hmm. but also in relation to sort of you know general professional issues that, that you know are generic to all professions and um, that was a wonderful experience and again as I said like the human side of every library position you hold I mean you'd go for your coffee break in the morning and you know Enda Kenny or Mary Harney or somebody could be sitting at the same table as you yeah. it was quite surreal it was almost like stepping into the tv box you know this this chamber debating chamber that you'd seen as a a young child on the television suddenly you know you were seeing this every day in your work or you'd see visiting parties or delegations from other countries it was very exciting environment to to work in so So how long were you there i was there about eight months and then i saw the job at dublin business school and for head of library and i thought at that point i had done 10 years in the library profession, I had worked in a variety of libraries and I felt I'd sort of earned my stripes. Yeah. And that perhaps it was about time I, I, I applied for sort of head of library roles. And, you know, I mean, I had done customer facing roles, cataloguing roles. I'd, you know, I'd had a good mix of roles. Yeah. I'd managed people, you know. And so I applied for for the position here and I, I got the position here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've been here for 10 Ten years, so obviously, I think I, I think it's fair to say that I like it. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, Do you feel this is this? Oh gosh, or? totally, totally. It it would be quite hard to shift me out of here. I think I, <laughs> I, 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 I just I really like it. I mean, for me, it's it's very fast paced. Mm. Um, there's a very entrepreneurial climate. They're always you know developing new programs, new developments happening, um, and. The, the ground sort of never settles beneath your feet. I mean, yeah. you know, two years ago, th- they started sort of delivering this joint finance and accounting program with a college in Malaysia. So we provide library support to Malaysian students that we never meet overseas. And uh, um, several years ago, they also got approved for government funding for, you know, springboard programs and momentum yeah. programs. Um, so, you know, another type of learner came into the mix. And we're always developing, you know, our suite of postgraduate programs and so I, I really like it's very change orientated mm. and I feel like I'm always learning new skills and um, and also as well I, I think they give me a lot of autonomy so I kind of finally got the chance to do things my way which yeah. is kind of nice <laughs> which you did you kind of transformed the library here in DBS. well the one thing I noticed when I came into DBS we had a wonderful you know previous librarian but but I, I was kind of thirsty for more professional roles there was one head of library and a library assistant uh, you know assistant librarian and then there was a lot of library assistants but gradually over the years I've introduced a lot of roles you know a systems librarian a head of reader services a teaching librarian role we recently in the last few years introduced a, a research librarian which is Alex Cooker to support faculty with their publishing endeavors and um yeah, so, and, and we're very bottom-up, um, yeah. very much an ideas culture. Everybody, you know, if you're a library assistant or a professional library post, you get a chance to pitch whatever ideas you're interested yeah. in. So I, I kind of like blue sky thinking. I like people that come up with sort of, 
you know interesting ideas and uh, and you know we've we've done some really interesting things here i mean we were the first fully rfid library in ireland yeah i mean you you remember that and uh, other libraries even the larger libraries were partially rfid and you know we've we've We've, we've done so many things over the years. We use a lot of open source project um, products. We, we've migrated to Koha. Um, we introduced an institutional repository. And that's something I think that, that is very important to me to dispel the myth of private colleges that we don't have a research culture because academics in DBS, you know, are busy publishing in peer-reviewed journals and, and all types of journals yeah. in the way academics elsewhere are. And I, I think that's very exciting, the possibilities that the library has to showcase the sort of intellectual footprint, if you like, of Dublin Business School. In fact, that was the title of my last strategic plan that I wrote. I write a strategic plan every five years. Very, very lofty title of, of, it's called Enhancing the Intellectual Footprint of Dublin Business School. And we've been busy doing that, showcasing yeah. through our institution and prosody, um, you know, the really high quality research that students and faculty do. And, and that's really exciting. So we're constantly changing, constantly changing. And again, that comes back to just knowing who your, you know, your user base is, whether it's students or faculty, or knowing that your user base is, is everyone, it's not just students, and then figuring out what they what they need and then figuring out how to give it to them. Exactly, and I think when you're head of library, you're obviously there to support the strategy of the college as a whole, but you can also influence strategy as well. Mm. And, you know, I, I like to think that we do that as well, particularly in relation to research. You know, we can say, you know, do you know the importance of research? Which, to be fair, they do, but I think we highlight it to an even greater extent. You know, the the value it has in terms of raising the standing of the college, the student experience, the teaching and learning experience when faculty are research active, research informed. So um, our last strategic plan has been very focused on sort of supporting faculty and students in terms of high quality research. Our fir my first strategic plan when I came here was very much about building more professional roles and using technology. So so uh, what the next strategic plan will be about, I, I don't know, but watch this yeah. space. Where, where to next? <laughs> exactly, <right>? exactly. <laughs> the sky's the limit. Hopefully. So of all the roles you've had, do you think this is the one that's... Definitely, definitely. I, I really, I really like this role. Um, I think that I've got, you know, fantastic library staff as well. I'm working with a really great team and, and we must be quite codependent because we can't seem to leave each other. We've all worked together <laughs> for 10 years and more. I mean, I've been working with Dave Hughes for 10 years, Alex Cooker for 10 years, Jane Bogle, really? I've been, yeah, Jane Bogle for years. Everyone else is good and stays. <laughs> Leave. Oh, we have really good people that have left as well. Really, really good people. Um, but it's a bit like Hotel California, you know, Laura. You can check out, but you can never really I mean, fully I, leave. I've never really left. You've never really left. But um, we, we've amazing staff. I mean, I just and and they're full of ideas, and I I, I love that. I, I like that team based, bottom up approach, and uh, and. I think having the teaching librarian role and the research librarian role, systems librarian role, all those professional roles, I think mm. those types of professional roles can really, really increase the impact of library services. Yeah. You know, they, they, they bring a lot of value added to the library user. Mm. So what would you say, having, having worked with you and benefited greatly from your very open management style and very nurturing management style, one that I hadn't experienced before and have not since. What would you say is your management style for managing libraries and managing library staff, considering you have been so successful? 
I, I'm not hierarchical. I know yeah. that. <laughs> I, I found if there's one thing that I did find difficult as a young librarian starting out was a sense of kind of hierarchy. And mm. we had very, very defined roles. Mm. And, and it could be quite hard for sort of young up and coming people to sort of find a voice within that at times. You had to kind of really earn mm. your stripes and kind of migrate up through that hierarchy and and I was really determined when I became a library management that we would kind of just crush that hierarchy and that you know if you had a good idea to me it didn't really matter if you were a library assistant professional librarian um, and equally in the professional librarian roles that we have the research librarian role for example with Alex Cooker, Dave and Systems if they have ideas you know that pertain to other areas I, I don't mind that either you know I'm just really I just really like innovation and change and I just like the doors to be open to that and I think if you have too much hierarchy and you're too top down you can kind of suffocate that and and I I think you know my library staff do tell me here all the time that they sort of enjoy the possibilities that each day kind of brings yeah. that they can get to do interesting projects and some of those projects 90% of them are successful. Occasionally we can fail in a project. We, we might sort of pilot something and think, actually, that's not for us. Yeah. But it's the trying... To be able to be in a position where... To test things. room to fail, though. Absolutely. a huge fear of failing. No, exactly. things don't work out. And they don't. And you do sometimes pilot things on a small scale and you think, okay, maybe this isn't for us. And... Um, so yeah, I, I, I like I like that kind of a working environment. And I'm not a micromanager... And I, I like kind of a team-based feel. I think I almost, I also kind of like a culture, a more informal culture. I, I, libraries traditionally, when I was coming through, were very, very formal. And um, I, I don't like library staff to feel that they have to watch their P's and Q's when they're around me all the yeah. time, which, which my gang probably would never do anyway. <laughs> this is where. <laughs> And me learned all my bad habits. Exactly, exactly. But I, I, I like library staff to kind of be natural yeah. and normal. And I think that kind of translates to the user as well. That if yeah. you have a culture of informality, I think nine times out of ten, you know, when students come in, library staff are approachable. Yeah. So I, I think they're some of the things that I kind of um, would have changed. I, 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 as well... In addition to that, I also like to keep up with kind of trends a lot. I read a lot of reports, you know, the Horizon report, for example, about sort of future technological developments in higher education. And I'm kind of keeping tabs on the National Forum for the Enhancement of Teaching and Learning, and they've published a digital roadmap. And I keep tabs on other librarians that I really admire. Like, I really admire Andy Priestner in Cambridge University. Yeah. And his future libraries project there and the Space Finder product that he's produced recently. Um, I like Stephen Bell of Temple University in the US and you know what he has to say about the way higher education is going to change in the future. Mm -hmm. So I like that to come through as well. In addition to sort of the flattening of the hierarchy and having a more informal team-based culture, I like us all the time to be sort of you know, aware of what's happening out there, mm -hmm. not just in the wider library world, but in the wider sort of technological in trends, yeah. environment. I and think we need, and whenever I spoke to Aoife Lawton, um, she talked about the idea of kind of VIP librarians and like more personalities developing and kind of specialisms developing and people who you associate with being a specialist in a particular area. 
do you think we need more of that I, I love this sort of um, culture of sort of celebrity <laughs> librarians no, 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 in the set. Not because I don't think that many librarians would want that title. No, I mean I mean that facetiously, yeah. but I mean in the sense of librarians who maybe stand for something. I yeah. I think that you know I, Andy Priestner, for example, really mm-hmm. kind of caught my eye in terms of what he's doing with ethnography in mm-hmm. the library environment yeah. and what he's doing in terms of the future libraries project. Um, and I think that perhaps, you know, he, 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 he's now working, you know, half of the time in Cambridge University, but also working as a library consultant. And, mm-hmm. and, and Ken Chad, I think, has been very good at sort yeah. of having a strong identity um, on Twitter and on various um, social media platforms and uh, is always up to really interesting things. And I, I do think that we do need to be braver about that in the business world. Yeah. We have gurus in the business world. So I, I think there are are openings for you know library gurus and and i think that's how we get our message across and we shake things up and we move the profession forward yeah um, you know we, we need leaders and voices yeah and, and we definitely need to have stronger voices mm, and if part yeah. of that is developing stronger personas and absolutely stronger identities, absolutely that can't be a bad thing absolutely i totally i totally agree with you on and that, that that level of informality that you constantly doing new things here um, you know in DPS and I was having a conversation with Alex today about research data management mm. that's something that we'd like to get into now with our faculty and um, um, we're, we're always up to new things we brought in reading the software um, we brought in an open source solution LORS and uh, and uh, so so that's really really um really really interesting and uh, I, I just I like to change all the time I, I do like developments and, and the reason for that is because our user is changing you know um, mobile technologies and I, I don't even think we can actually conceive of half of the changes that are actually coming down the line I think yeah. the changes I like the idea that we can't conceive of them that there, me that too. there are things on the horizon that are so new and Absolutely, you know, trying to visualise the library of the future, and um, I mean, there's a lot of debate about print books and that print books are, you know, sort of waning. I mean, we still find, even though we have very extensive online collections, we have fifty-five thousand e-journals and thousands of e-books, there's still a big demand for print. Yeah. Um, but I think perhaps from a sustainability point of view, and you know, the cutting down of trees and things like that, I think probably the time of the print book, you know. Uh, you know, has has seen better days. I, I think it is gradually going to form less and less a part of the modern day library from a sustainability point of view. All yeah. that paper, and I think you're going to see sort of the rise of the green smart library, where we're going to be much more envi- uh, mindful of the environment. I mean, we have a printing solution here called Papercut, which we got probably about six or seven years ago mm. and one of the aspects that we liked about paper cut is that it actually tells you when you're printing how many trees you're destroying oh, yeah. and you can actually get a little app yeah. 
which will actually tell you how many trees you're destroying. And and uh, I've seen articles recently about the paperless universities, and there are some universities now that are completely paperless. Yeah. So I think if you extrapolate from that, you're going to see the library of the future, I think, will very likely be paperless, you know, apart from sort of historical items that we wish to preserve. And I think we, we do need to be ready for that. And, and I think that roles that are being developed in research support, in instructional design, teaching librarians, all those roles are, are really going to come to the fore. So, so, and we need more of that. And I think our, our notion of the library space is, is going to change dramatic drastically I mean I think yeah, you're gonna it already, is, it already is I mean I think you're gonna see things like maker spaces mm -hmm. and you know where people we, we're not just curating content but you're 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 creating content and I think that if we were canny as librarians you know all those computer labs that are out there that are separate to the library mm -hmm. or you know filmmaking booths I, I think that these should migrate into the library mm -hmm. and that um you know I, I think the library should really, really be sort of the, the, the focus point, as I said, for creating content as well as um, curating it. And, uh, and I think libraries are going to be much greener, sort of, we're going to have a lot of smart technology. And I think in the future, I think wearable technology, I, I think we're all going to be going around with smart watches and students will be swiping in with we their... All already with Fitbits and Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think probably students will have a smartwatch. They will swipe in to get into the library. I think they will swipe in to get into their classes. I think a notification about what library class will be running will come, probably pop up on your smartphone. I think analytics is probably going to be huge. I think that, you know, analytics will be constructed in such a way that, you know, our systems will know what a student is studying at such and such a time and perhaps you know they're sent a link to a chapter that reflects what they're yeah. being taught on the module there's going to be a lot more interoperability you know and and i think all of that is coming down the line and and it's it's going to be really really uh, exciting i i think and it's just yeah. to i i often look at um you know what futurists um have to say about what's going to happen in the future mm. And, and I love to do that, and you'll, you know, you'll see the next seven big trends. And I think yeah. it's good to even keep an eye on, on what those kind of people are saying in terms of how society is going to change, technology is going to change, to sort of have a sneak peek into what the library of the future is, is, yeah. is going to be like. I mean, we're often as librarians kind of privy to, to seeing those trends emerging before other people because you work closely with people who are researching with students, with people who are knowledge generators, you see those things beginning to emerge and sometimes are capable of articulating them before before anyone else has, so sometimes we're, we're a little bit ahead of the, the trend. Absolutely, and, and I really enjoy that side of librarianship. Yeah. Of, and I, I was reading about um, a lecturer in the University of Wisconsin who was using Google Glass to correct his assignments. And he was able to then upload his feedback to the assignment to students online very quickly, rapidly, uh, and very detailed feedback. And the University of Wisconsin was saying that, you know, they had something like an 80% increase in satisfaction from students with student feedback. I mean, I think we'll see, you know, teaching librarians wearing wearable technology when they're correcting assignments that are integrated into the curriculum because a lot of us now have you know library assignments that are, are assessed as part of academic programs and I think um, 
the whole library experience is going to be a lot more sort of three-dimensional and and it's 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 going to be sort of built around that immersive technology technologies that our users are using every day and and I, I was recently reading about an app on a mobile phone where you could just go to the shelf and check the book out to yourself you know yeah. using the RFID I mean you know it's just it's quite incredible um what's what's happening out there it's very exciting mm. and just before talked a lot about teaching and, and a lot about nurturing students and DBS has its own um, MSc in library information management. Mm -hmm. um, what what drew you into to that area? Well what I remember when I started here in 2006, um, there's a wonderful lady that works here, Mario Dwyer, mm. who we affectionately call the Oracle. She's she's so knowledgeable. <laughs> I'm sure she's delighted to be called. That. She is, and we actually bought her a mug with with Oracle written on the mug because um, she's just a, such a, a bright lady and an incredible lady. And she was doing a course online at the time, and and it was it was difficult and isolating doing a course online, but she didn't want to give up her job to study a course full time. So I kind of thought, gosh, there's a gap in the market there for an evening program in library studies why don't we have an evening program so I went to um, the CEO of the college and I just said to him you know had he ever thought about library studies and and, and the CEO is very entrepreneurial he's a businessman they have programs in project management and MBAs and um, but he was incredible he was kind of I, I explained there was only one um, program and uh, spoke to the marketing director as well the financial director the senior management team they were very supportive and at the time John Moore's University Liverpool had a library course and we had a relationship with John Moore's yeah. so we delivered that course here at Dublin Business School and then we got the SILIP accreditation once you know they were satisfied that we were meeting, you know, the learning outcomes that LJMU would have expected us to achieve on the program for our students. So, so we we passed that accreditation. We got to start doing that program, and in a way, it was good because I think we we earned our stripes then yeah. in terms of approaching the Library Association of Ireland because we had delivered this program for you know with it was a joint degree between LJMU and DBS, still accredited, and we were able to go to the um, Library Association of Ireland and and show that we had a track record. Yeah. And um, we went. We then the second iteration of the program is QQI accredited quality qualifications of Ireland or validated, should I say? And the program is accredited by the Library Association of Ireland. And um, so we were delighted. We always wanted. I mean, the SILIP accreditation was wonderful, but we obviously wanted the Irish professional body to to recognise the program, which was wonderful, and they were very very supportive. So. Um, and that's been really exciting. I always wanted an MSc because I, I felt that the theory that I learned at library school was wonderful, but it was quite a rude awakening when I started working in libraries, particularly at yeah. head librarian level. The amount of sort of financial marketing and business planning and um, HR management and, mm -hmm. and, and project management. I mean, you know, even migrating from one library management system to another yeah. and ensuring that your users can still access all the materials that they need. I mean, the amount of planning involved in that. Effectively, most of what we do is part, it's a series of continuing projects Absolutely. being managed all the time. Absolutely. And I wish in a way that we had more sort of um, cross-listing with other programs. Mm. You know, digital marketing. Why couldn't we do a module on digital marketing on a business program? You know, cross-list with that financial management, um, all of that. Um, I, and I also think as well that it's a pity we don't cross-list more with teaching and learning programmes, mm. that we learn more about, you know, sort of general academic pedagogy, you know, um, and um, 
so that that's why it kind of really went down that path and we we, we kind of looked towards an msc qualification and uh, and it's been going now for um, about eight nine years now and uh, we we've had great success stories in terms of placement of the program and mm. it's another very interesting aspect to my work here every day at dublin business school i liaise a lot with students and faculty and um we're, we're very proud of the program and mm. it, it just offers another choice to people out there um and uh, we work closely as well though with with you know other library schools for example we have our annual seminar here at dublin business school on the 10th of june yeah. we have a poster competition that's open to the students in ucd library school mm-hmm. the students here so it's it's kind of an exciting dialogue in library education you know that yeah, there's now there's a lot there's a lot more kind of relationships developing between library students studying in absolutely different places, certainly as someone who did library qualification and program, you felt very distanced from absolutely from UCD and very distanced from anyone else doing yeah. the same qualification as you, so there's definitely a gap in the market there. Absolutely. 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 And even there were modules on the program that that I hadn't studied previously, like network resource management. I mean, if you're a manager of a library and your network goes down, you're pretty much, you know, debilitated entirely. You know, everything kind of grinds to a halt. So how do all these networks talk to each other? And we focus a lot on things like cloud computing. I mean, in Dublin Business School Library, we, we host a lot of our products on the cloud. And what are the security issues around that? And um, so we, we, we really try and equip the, the librarian with kind of, you know, a, a sense of some of those um, skills. But, you know, um, there's wonderful library programs out there. You know, there's a whole variety. And uh, some people want to do library courses where maybe there's a focus on public libraries. And some people like to come in and do this sort of more techie MSc. And it just depends on what your kind of career path, you know, is. And, and then there's courses that have a little bit of everything. So so there's a, a good variety out there, which is which is great. The evening is the evening is great, exactly, and we're actually we're we're actually running it on the full time side this year as well. That's Mm -hmm. great, and we're starting to get international students, and we've great faculty. I mean, um, Christoph Smith, Dr. Christoph Smith, Dr. Claire Thornley, Dr. Martha Vestilio, Mm -hmm. Mark Farrell, who's wonderful records manager, Katrina Sharkey, Mm -hmm. who's associate director for knowledge for Ernest and Young and it's lovely kind of meeting them as well it's kind of another another kind of world I suppose that I'm, I'm exposed to you know in my my day job the whole library education and sort of enriches my role here at Dublin Business School you, you, you certainly would never get bored here at Dublin Business no. School that is for sure that is for sure yeah and okay so before I before I let you go do you have any parting words for anybody going into the profession now? Um, of wisdom? The one thing I would say to people is to find a, a mentor. I mean, I do a lot of mentoring. I'd probably be well known in the profession for mentoring young librarians coming up. People are always dropping by me, mm-hmm. dropping by to see me for sort of interview tips and to look at their CVs. And and so I think find yourself a good mentor. It can mm-hmm. just sometimes, you, you get little insider tips that can kind of help you get a head start for interviews when you start in a role. Um, and I think actually 
I think that's something that the Library Association of Ireland might think about. I think we should actually have yeah. an official list of mentors that if you're somebody that's interested in mentoring and you want to put forward four hours of your time, five hours of your time a year, you can put yourself on this list and, and students could see this list of mentors. Yeah. And and I think that would be incredibly helpful to um, young librarians coming up. That, Even that people who've been in the profession for a while, like, certainly would would see the benefit of it absolutely for absolutely years. absolutely i think it's mentoring is it's, it's something huge that's beneficial at, at all levels at all levels just coming into the profession whether you're a student or whether you're kind of mid, mid career and looking to to make a change or looking to get some insight from just a different perspective and uh, definitely and I, I think we could probably formalize it a little bit more and that it would kind of promote that culture on a more widespread basis you know if, if we had sort of a list of contacts of people who are willing and they, they state the areas that they're interested in sort of mentoring people in and and the amount of time they're willing to allocate to it and I think we could do a lot with that and um, the one thing I would say to people is read a lot, read a lot. Um, I remember when I went for my first professional post as an assistant librarian, I'm, I'm a big fan of the PDF search, that when you get a job interview, always you know Google that organization or that sector and you know with the PDF because mm -hmm. sometimes little reports pop up that haven't been on or might not be on the website yeah, or they're buried somewhere, or they're buried somewhere where you're not going to see them and um, I think that I, I remember when I went for the job in Waterford Regional, I had seen a, a, a publication that was just literally hot off the presses about standards in health libraries, and it was produced by the Health Libraries Group of the LAI. Yeah. So I was actually able to, um, I was actually able to um, draw on that publication when I was doing my interview. So, so you want to come across as you know, sort of knowing that area and of reading the reports around that area, or, or of reports, you know, of general interest to the library sector. Um, and so get a good mentor, keep on top of the publications that are coming out, um, a, good, a good CV with the kind of terminology of your profession mm. in there, the kind of library lingo that you would expect to, to find in there. And, and network, attend lots of conferences. Yeah. Networking is fantastic. And, and get a digital identity, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn. That's uh, great for networking. It's, it's fantastic. Especially if you're being isolated it's fantastic certainly for me I mean you know as somebody who would employ professional librarians I certainly notice young graduates that have a Twitter profile and are saying interesting things on their Twitter profile so it's it's a great showcase saying things good as well. exactly other absolutely I totally agree with you and 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 that's really good and um, yeah, I, I, a good mentor, a good CV, uh, keep abreast of what's happening in the sector, get a, your digital identity, start to develop your digital identity, your professional identity online. Um, and, and I think that's a good start. And another tip that I would like to say as well, maybe it's not even necessarily at young librarians coming out, but I think we've kind of seen a number of paradigms in terms of the library profession, from the card catalogue to the dial-up. I mean, I don't know if any of you remember the dial-up databases. <laughs> And, you know, to web-based solutions, to federated searching solutions, to discovery solutions. And now I think we're entering another paradigm, discoverability. Mm. So I think if you're going to become a librarian, um, I think discoverability is, is, is going to be the next huge, huge thing. I mean, I think we do that as librarians anyway, but I yeah. think we've only kind of scraped the service. JISC has a very good discoverability toolkit mm. on the ways in which you can make online resources discoverable. Um, we have Dr. David Prosser 
speaking at our library seminar on the June the 10th um, here at Dublin Business School on discoverability and, and I really wanted to get him because I feel that discoverability is going to be huge. You know, how we embed um, our resources, you know, within the workflows, yeah. within the teaching and learning resources of our users, um, that's going to be that's going to be huge. I think I, I think you know as I said we, we have a history of, you know we've done subject portals, but I think it's going to be far deeper, far more ornamentic. Yeah, well we've gotten to the point where we've created so much content. Yeah, that we need to remember that people love to be to find it. If it's exactly. Buried, then exactly. If it's buried, it may not, it may as well not exist. Exactly. So I think the key to success, I think, for a lot of librarians. You, yeah, we've got all these resources now, but we really, really got to get down to the nitty gritty of making them as discoverable as possible. Mm. And I, I like um, ethnography as well. I, I find that very interesting that the kind of um, building library spaces around the real true way in which library users interact with that space. Mm. So I, I, they're kind of two trends that I think if you're a librarian out there and you're kind of wishing to change role or perhaps apply for promotion or or you know, you're a young librarian coming through. I, I think knowing your user and making content more discoverable is 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 is, is absolutely key. Mm. You know. So right, watch this space, Marie. On that lofty note, it's <laughs> coming soon. Marie, thanks a million for for having a chat with Thank me. Thank you, and Laura. It's been an Thanks to Marie for sharing her wisdom. Um, we could easily have gone on all night with that one, but maybe we'll have a, another episode with Marie on it. Uh, she's got lots to say. So don't forget to sign up for the, the DBS annual seminar, which takes place on June 10th. I'll put the link up on the ASL website, which is www.aslibraries.com. And you can also get updates um, on Twitter. We're at ASLibraries or on Facebook as ASLibraries. Librarians Allowed is produced by Laura Rooney-Ferris. Music and editing are by Michael Ferris. Ferris.